So what do you do in this instance to the, our point previously, when you know you're going in a bad direction, do you keep going down that way or do you try and make that pivot and go, oh, shit, I got to do something positive here and be, be a, an example, I guess, to the, to the rest of the world and try and use something negative and turn it into something positive. Sometimes bad things happen, but it's what you do next, how you respond that defines you. Welcome to this classic episode of the Spartan Up Podcast. Today, three powerful stories about turning pain into power. Amanda Sullivan was hit by a car not once, but twice, and has turned that pain into power, learning how to be her own hero. Next, Hannah Eden, who you may know as a fitness guru, tells a story of the pain she suffered that motivated her epic journey around the island of Iceland. And finally, Marco Cicetto. Marco came to the United States on a running scholarship and soon after lost both his legs to frostbite. But this is not a sad story. None of these are sad stories. Marco today holds the world record for the fastest marathon by a double amputee. This episode of Spartan Up is brought to you by Honey Stinger, made with organic honey and delicious ingredients. Use the code SPARTANATHLETE30 at HoneyStinger.com for 30% off to help you sweeten the burn. Bad things happen to people. We see it all the time. It's what they do with it next that defines them. Amanda Sullivan has turned what feels like a stroke of incredibly bad luck, getting hit by a car twice, into a powerful drive and motivator. I came home for Christmas of 2008, setting up an orphanage in Mexico. I was going to be home for a couple weeks, and I got run over, which is a really good way to completely change your life plans. <laughs> um, but I was very fortunate in that in the three-plus years I was using a wheelchair, I just kept thinking about all these lessons I learned from the people that I had been in contact with. And I thought, wow, you know, I'm still so blessed because I did work with kids with disabilities in other countries. And I do know that most of them are laying on concrete slabs praying for mobility aid. I want to make the best of my situation and live my life 100% on my terms, whether it's with a wheelchair or with a walker or whatever it is, I'm not going to stop living. So you're in this wheelchair, you're zipping around, and um, you're staying positive. I wasn't, actually. I hit a phase um, where I really just did not want to live anymore. How do you, how do you turn that? Because there's a lot of people out there. I get a lot of emails from people that say, Joe, I don't have the motivation. I don't have this. We've seen recently a bunch of suicides yeah. in the news. How do you turn that, that low point? I think for me, um, I realized when I was lying in bed and I had written out my, I wrote out my suicide letter probably a year before and I would tweak it every 30 days. And then I started giving myself 90 day increments where if things didn't get better within those 90 days, then I would give myself permission to kill myself. And then finally I decided tonight's the night I'm going to do it. So I pulled out my suicide letter, added some things to it. And I had a huge jar of sleeping pills I was going to take. And I took a few of them. And I was hesitant to take more. And I was wondering, you know, this is my big moment that I've been waiting for. Why, like, really, you're not even brave enough to take your own life after all of this? And I realized the reason I was being hesitant was because I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to live in this pain. It was like a blanket that was enveloping me and a constant tsunami of negativity. So I started thinking back about all these amazing people I had met in my travels and I had helped so many different people but now I couldn't help myself. And I realized that as a woman, we are fed this Disney fairy tale story since we're little girls about some prince coming in and rescuing you. And I was laying in bed, literally waiting for someone to rescue me. And so I just had this huge realization that I need to rescue me. I need to be the hero that I've been sitting in bed waiting for. 
yes, the man who ran me over was responsible for my initial injuries. Everything after that day is on me because it's my attitude that's the problem. How is being negative helping me at all? I have negative people in my life. I'm doing nothing with my life right now. I'm living in the glory days of the past. I didn't want any of my friends that lived in other places to even know I was in a wheelchair. I realized, of course, I'm not gonna like the life I'm living because I don't like the me right now. So I decided, you know what? I have to start living on my terms. My circumstances are going to create an epic future for myself. So I started playing wheelchair sports. I got linked up with a lot of guys down at Walter Reed who were wounded veterans because I'd been protected by military in my travels. So they convinced me to join a regular able-bodied gym. And then I, after a while, I realized I could put weight on my left leg. So they helped me come up with different ways to potentially walk on a treadmill. And the first day I could take a couple steps on the treadmill, I felt like I won an Olympic gold medal. It's like the greatest moment of my life to this day. And right after I started taking steps, they ordered me forearm crutches and said, you know what? This is what you're gonna use from now on. And, and then not just that, they were very much like our friend Jonathan Lopez. They told me that they had already signed me up for a 5K in New York that I was going to do with them and I was going to do with my crutches. Isn't it amazing how, <laughs> how movement and sweating and healthy, healthy food just changes the game? 100%. Right? People think, uh, might not realize how important a component it is to overall happiness and, and just uh, getting through life's obstacles, right? Well, when you, get, when you have surgery or you have some type of short-term injury, people send you these care packages of cookies and donuts, but if you're long-term injured, no one's sending you plates of steamed vegetables. Right. So I'm literally just sitting in bed, just getting larger and larger. And all that processed junk food is it's fueling actually, my depression. Yeah, it's actually fueling the depression. Yeah, it's right. fueling my depression. Right. So I realized, you know what? I can't control many things. What I can control is my attitude. And I can control what I decide to fuel my mind, my body, and my soul with. Point of contention, confusion here. You were in two accidents. Yes. Not, not one. You lumped mm -hmm. them together in the story for, for those people listening, just to make it easier. But um, most people don't get run over once. You got run over twice. I felt very desperate because I couldn't understand how I had two accidents in a row. I felt like my days were numbered in my travels, so I got injured stateside in a weird way to protect me, and my mom became my caretaker. So we had, I'd been out of the country for so long, and my mom and I had all these years of just us in bonding. <laughs> and then mom dies. Yeah, so my mom was, my mom helped me become strong and um, taught me how to become the hero that I needed to become. Number one, I think most important is remembering that you are in control. I think a lot of people think that life keeps happening to them and when life keeps throwing adversity in front of you, which they're gonna do it to everyone, if you don't start fighting back against it, you're gonna get trapped. And once you're trapped in the darkness, that's where the problems arise. And I think a lot of people forget they're looking for light and they're looking for someone to help them out, but they forget everyone has this flame and a torch inside of their soul. All you have to do is light it. And once you figure out how to light that torch, it doesn't matter how much darkness engulfs you, you'll find your way out of it. Like they say, it only takes one candle to curse the darkness. You are that candle. And I think the reason why I love Spartan racing so much is because people show each other how to light their candle. You show it through the obstacles that you're going through. We pour gasoline on the candle. You do. <laughs> it's exactly right. 
But I do think that that's most important because the reason why people get so desperate is because they feel like they don't have control. And whoever said life was easy was obviously lying. I mean, once you accept that life is going to be hard, it becomes easier in a strange way. Just accept it. Yeah, like I know that life is going to be difficult. I know that every day is going to present new challenges for me. And I know life is going to do everything it can to steal the smile off my face. But my biggest accomplishment at the end of every day is to know that my heart is pure and I'm still smiling. Crushed it. I mean, there's nothing else to say. Oh, no, there is. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> yeah, we can keep going. <laughs> so what I wanted to tell you before, speaking of looking back on your blessings, yeah. my mom took care of me and she showed me how to rise above my circumstances and to use adversity as a tool to grow from. And because of the fact that she was able to help me grow stronger, I was strong enough to come home and be her caretaker. And all of my training for Spartan races helped immensely. Being able to take the, crutch, uh, the crutches, take the trash out in a snowstorm, shoveling five feet, four feet of snow on crutches, all these different things that I was able to do for my mom, I would have never been able to do had I not focused on my fitness and my nutrition and my spiritual health first in the years before. It's important that you remember that you're capable of far more than far you more. think. Because your soul is what's going to lead you through. Yeah. And once you train your soul, which you do by training your mind, you're set. And these are things we have control of. And once you decide that you're going to take control of your own destiny, and once you decide that you say, at any given moment, this is not how my story is going to end, that's when you become the hero of your own story. Amanda Sullivan was hit by a car. Hannah's pain came from the struggle of a friend. What drives you? I heard you went to Iceland. You know, we have a race and we had a, a world championship in Iceland. I don't know if well, you knew If you do it again, I'm going to be there. Just there. I'll either do it, watch, or just show up. That place has got a, I literally have the map of Iceland tattooed on my arm. I right love here. it. And yeah. so you ran around the outside. Yeah. Rainbow. And, and you didn't have roller skates on. Unfortunately not. I wish I had Heelys, that's for sure. I know. I've done some long runs, but that sounds like a long one. That was brutal. That yeah. was pretty brutal. I don't know if I could do that again in the state that I'm in now versus then. What, what, what drove you to push your limits there? So it's a pretty sad story, but something came out of it, which was amazing. Um, one of my best friends was diagnosed with stage four cancer uh, two years ago in, in November. And she was pregnant. She was six months pregnant with her second child. And it was not looking good. And I think that I was super naive and in denial at the time of it happening. <laughs> and I had previously ran a crazy mission with someone else, but it wasn't my mission. I was just kind of joining. And that was 230 miles of only running. And um, I was like, man, if I ever do anything again, it has to top that, right? And if I'm willing to do that, this is what went through my head because I'm a savage, I guess. Uh, whenever I found out my friend got sick, I was like, if I'm willing to do that for, don't get me wrong, an incredible cause for these orphans that I'd never met until I got to the orphanage after the message was done, meaning my drive was just, I think, the challenge versus, versus an emotional um, attachment there. But this was so close to home that I'm like, I have to do something crazy. And she was a really goal-driven person that, like me, always had something to visualize, hold on for. When we get to this point, we can stop kind of thing, just to keep ahead in it, because I could see everything else was just failing. So we sat down in the hospital as a joke and was like, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to do a crazy run. You're going to be at the end with your baby. And it was like this kind of like internal joke. 
And then it got serious and I was like, oh wow, this is really happening. Um, and then she got really sick and it became very evident that she wasn't gonna make it through. And it was my way of dealing. I, um, it was my way of grieving, I guess. I just kind of shut down to the rest of the world and trained like a sick, <laughs> excuse my French. I got myself a trainer um, and I, saw I wasn't an endurance athlete at all, just perf performance, high intensity interval training, that's all I knew. Bodybuilding, CrossFit, never ran more than like those miles we did, we would probably do 20 at a time and then stop. And you know, it was a very different experience. So I just was like, all right, let's try it. If I don't, if I don't make it, I don't make it, but I'm going to set myself up for success to at least give it a go, you know? And while we do it, we're going to make this huge thing and we're going to try and raise awareness for cancer. And at the time my mind was, I'm going to raise money for her kids because her long story short, after she passed away, the baby survived um, and Jess didn't. So I wanted to have like a college fund. My brain was going everywhere. And then I was like, all right, we've got to get back to reality here, which is like, you have a big presence online and people know that something's up. So what do you do in this? instance to the our point previously when you know you're going in a bad direction do you keep going down that way or do you try and make that pivot and go shit all right, i gotta do something positive here and be be a, an example i guess to the, to the rest of the world and try and use something negative and turn it into something positive so we did and we made this crazy mission i trained started training for 30 minutes a day and then it just kept building and progressively until my training sessions were like four five six hours a day and then we set off and we did it man i got strava i found this ring road and I like made, we tried to do it in eight days. We ended up doing it in nine, but I split the route in the divided the mileage into eight days. And it was like, all right, day one, we have to make it there. Day two, we have to make it there. And I had these distances set out. And then uh, I could go into stories of, for days about the actual uh, strategy and how it all went up on the first day. Definitely shifted some stuff around and um, we, we did it. I have no idea how I did that. Honestly, I don't. We worked for 12 hours, we slept, for 12 hours and just didn't stop. That's awesome. We'll be right back to this interview, but first a little bit from today's sponsor, Honey Stinger. They have a special deal for Spartan Up listeners. Use the code SPARTANATHLETE30 at HoneyStinger.com to save 30%. Honey Stinger's waffles, energy chews, gels, and bars provide the fuel you need to push harder and go farther. For training and for racing, convenient nutrition that tastes great and works. Honey Stinger is Spartan's official on-course nutrition because it's made with delicious honey and organic ingredients. Honey is an excellent refueling source. Entering your bloodstream quickly, restoring depleted glycogen levels. Spartan's official on-course nutrition will elevate your performance for training and race day with honey-focused products. So go to HoneyStinger.com and use that code SPARTANATHLETE30 to save 30% off your organic waffles, chews, gels, bars, and hydration. All right, back to the interview. And finally, the incredible and inspiring story of Marco Cicetto. I lost my feet... Um Eight years ago in Alaska, frostbite. Eight years ago? Mm-hmm, 2011. How old were you? I was 28. I went to University of Alaska in 2008 for athletic scholarship. In 2010, I convinced the coach to recruit my cousin, who was a good runner, to come to University of Alaska Anchorage. Came there, 2011, he committed. 2011, so you guys were on a track. 2010 here. is when he came, and 2011, he committed suicide. Yes, we ran together in the truck for one year. So one Friday afternoon, he had call, called me to talk. But I, he didn't say what we wanted to talk about, and there were no red flags or anything. So I told him, hey, how about we talk later when I'm done with school and some homework? Went back home in the evening, and he was no more. He had just hanged himself. 
and that threw me on a down spiral. I think it would throw anybody on a downward spiral. So what happens next? He, you find out he killed himself. Uh, now what? Now I was started to blame. I should have done this. I should have done this. I should have left. I, sh you know, so that blame, you know, pushed me on. A, started to weigh on you. Yes, and I was just had a major depression, like really quick. He killed himself on February nineteenth of two thousand. 11 and by April that year I was already hospitalized for major depression really it was really but you never experienced your whole life at that point you never had it no no and in fact that whole time though I was on a denial when people you know an African man doesn't get depressed no ever and depression is just this sign of a weakness what kind of a guy gets depressed gets a mental breakdown so I was like no I am not depressed <laughs> Yeah. This is a wrong diagnosis. Or just somebody was just making up something on me. And your family's in Africa at this point. You don't have any family. No, I don't have anybody here. It's just right. me just and my Kenyan friends and the university's system, the coaches and the yeah. staff. So, I, you know, a lot of support. But there's a lot of support on a guy who really doesn't believe on what he's going through. He's just thinking this is just some conspiracy theories, kind of. I'm not having, but after that hospitalization, I started realizing I re I'm really in deep trouble. I need some, I, I knew I needed some help. Yeah. So I was hospitalized and I, you know, not that nobody forced me. I accepted to take it. I said, yes, I need some help. Which a lot of people won't do. Yeah. So I went to the hospital and I was in the hospital for 28 days because every time I wanted to leave, I felt like my thoughts were not like, I was not safe right. in my own thoughts. And I felt, you know, and I was in a good environment, you know, you know, able to talk to uh, psychiatrists. I was able to talk to, you know, counselors. So that was good for me. And then I left the hospital. That summer I was struggling through the fall, went back to school. And November of 2000, November 6, 2011, I took all my antidepressants at once, an overdose. And I don't remember how many. I just, uh, I think. What was going through your mind right before you At this point, there's nothing really that I remember. I, I'm trying to help myself get through this dark moment. That's what's going through my mind. Like, okay, just one thing at a time. Let me see where this will take me. So take all the antidepressants and some oxycodones, five of them, I think, maybe three. My friend had had a surgery and he had some left, three left oxycodones. So I took them and went for a run. And then I really don't know. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I woke up and I was in the middle of the woods and my legs were covered by snow. Luckily, my body was under my upper body. Torso up was under a tree. So I, my upper body was not covered with snow tried well, otherwise to, you'd be dead yeah so tried to turn around like so i could sit because i was face down tried to sit down and i was not able to and at that point you know i realized and this is a strange part my mind was so clear at that point i knew exactly what would happen next i knew if i spent 20 minutes there i would be dead and for some reason, I thought I saw somebody in my head. Somebody was walking towards me. 
and I got so scared and just tried to like get up like really quick and got out of there. But of course I was in the woods, nobody was there. I was able to get myself up with the help, you know, luckily I was in a wooded area, so there were trees all over the place. So I was able to use the trees to pull myself up. But when I stood up, my legs were so frozen that I couldn't even like, they couldn't support my body weight on them. But miraculously, I was able to walk and maybe five steps and I stumbled upon a groomed uh, ski trail. And then I just walked. Now this was easy because the snow was parked. So I walked, 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 and then all of a sudden I just walked to a hotel that was very close to the edge of the wooded area that I was in. And that is when I realized how long I had been out there. Because when I walked in there, the guy at the lobby was like, where have you been for three days? And I'm going, three days? Three days. Then I don't remember anything after that. The only thing I remember was I could hear from the background somebody explaining to the other person on the other end saying, you know, the UAA runner that was lost, he's here half frozen. And that's all I remember. Like, I don't know. I don't know who, I don't know if I fell. I don't remember it. But I was able to walk and as soon as I entered that hotel lobby, everything else just, the next thing I remember from that moment was my hands were really, really painful. And the doctor who was attending on me, trying to get my core temperatures back, was asking me what I was feeling. I said, my hands are really, really killing me right now. They're so painful. So he's like, how about your feet? I said, my feet are good. I don't feel anything on them. He's like, uh, that's not a good sign. You know, pain is a sign of life. But at that point, you know, there was nothing going on in my head. I said, you know, my legs are good. I'm not. Pain is a sign of life. That is my new tagline. I like that. So November 12th, my feet are starting to rot. They're dead now. My toenails, you know, are starting to fall off. So the doctor walks to my room, just like, okay, we have to cut both your legs off. He didn't even like, Use any other language. He just said it that way. Yeah, he it's didn't like, say, hey, are you hungry? You no, know, he's like, hey, Marco, you know, we have to cut. He didn't even say amputate. Maybe that would have been a new term that I would have been like, what is that? So we have to cut both your legs. We don't know how high yet, but definitely we are going to cut them. Right. Below the knee. At What's your point. immediate reaction? So I knew that part that amputating my feet will save my life, but will make my future life really complicated because you're now, run, your whole life's been yeah, running it's you know my legs my dear legs got me to travel across the globe to come from the equator and now to the north pole so i knew at that point that you know everything that i had worked for was done just at that moment but then you know i said well one day at a time the amputation day came took me I don't know how long it took, you know, they wheeled me back and I was asking the nurse who was talking to me, I said, hey, what happened? She said, what, what happened to what? I said, to the surgery, did they abort it, like something wrong? Say, no, they did it. I'm like, no, I feel my legs. Oh, they're like, oh, honey, you're gonna feel like that for a long time. Yes, there's something called phantom pain. You are having a phantom pain. There are no more. 
the surgery went really well. So after I got all of all the, the medications, you know, I, something really struck me, and that was my healing point. You know, I was blaming myself for not having listened to my cousin and not being there to help. But then I thought, if you really had control of things in this planet, what would be the first thing that you would control? Your own self. You would have saved your feet if you had control. You would have stopped yourself from going into the woods in the first place. Say, then there's no way I would have known what is in somebody else's head and being able to help them, like if he had just made that commitment of wanting to end his life. And that was my healing point. First thing you gotta do, you're saying, is win yourself. Yes, because you are your, like, who do you hang around 100% of your, the time? Yourself. Even when you're sleeping, you're hanging around yourself. If you cannot convince that part of you that you are this person that you want to be, nobody else will. You have to take that responsibility and take it really seriously because at that point in my life, I said, you know, you're going to be an amputee for the rest of your life. Are you going to wait and hold yourself to the standards on what other people say about you or are you going to hold yourself to a standard that you're going to set yourself and say, you know what, I got this, I'm taking charge of myself and I don't care what anybody else can say. And I had a defense. I say, hey, if people say this is this guy is crazy, then I have a very quick answer to defend myself. I say, yes, for somebody to lose their legs and bounce back, they have to be crazy enough to do that. Right. And a lot of people were telling me, you will be able to run again. And I said, yes, because now I can walk. And walking is a slower form of running. If I can walk, I can run. If I could walk, I could run. I love this. You could run in the snow for weeks and not get frostbite in oh, your feet. No, as long as I have my gloves on and yeah. all, so my upper body is well covered, I'm good. You have an advantage. Yes, on the cold, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have an advantage on the cold, and then my budget also went down because now I don't even have to have socks. That's right. <laughs> no need for socks. Another advantage. Yes. Yeah, I like that. So I was able to get back to running, and that was like, I can't even explain how good I felt. Not running, but when I started sweating. Yeah. That was the greatest feeling that I felt that I have my life back. Thanks for listening to this classic episode of the Spartan Up Podcast. Remember, whatever task you're taking on, you will need resilience of mind, body, and spirit. And we're here to be your partner with reminders, techniques, and strategies three days a week to help you stay on track. Whatever app you listen in, click that follow button or that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications and you don't miss valuable information. See you next time. This episode of Spartan Up is brought to you by Honey Stinger, made with organic honey and delicious ingredients. Use the code SpartanAthlete30 at HoneyStinger.com for 30% off to help you sweeten the burn.